We're talking about the signs of the times and how do they point to what we would call the wrath of God. Now, when you hear that phrase, wrath of God, Ray, what does everybody think? It's very sobering. Uh, can generate a lot of fear and anxiety because, you know, the, the closest wrath has come is the flood, but that doesn't even describe what's coming. Yeah. Yeah, you don't know what people think. Yes, you do. You know what they're thinking. They're thinking, oh no, dear Lord, right? It's coming. Yeah. And it has this, it has a little bit of a fear factor in it, right? And we're not talking about lying in a, in a, in a, in a place and putting bugs on your face. That's not the kind of fear factor we're talking about. Um, you guys remember that show? <laughs> Can't believe that just came up right now. I don't, whatever. So anyway, all right, the signs of the times. Okay, you're going to have what's called. Now, remember, we're going to talk about and equate this to what we would say you know, the seals. Remember, you have the birth pains, right? That came out of Matthew 24. You have the birthing pains, and there's these warnings, right? These warnings of what we would say, Ray would say as well, that, that correlate in Revelation 6. Revelation 6, the seals correlate with the birth pains, the warnings. So, hey, first seal, beware of the false Messiah. You know, the second seal, beware of war coming. The third seal, famine coming. The fourth seal, death coming, uh, right? And so you're, you're seeing these things unfold. And then even in the fifth seal, martyrs are going to be taking place. So these seals are walking you through what's going to take place. But remember Peter, James, and John, right? They're hanging out with Jesus and they're saying, hey, when are these things going to happen, right? So Matthew 24 is Jesus talking through this process. But in Revelation, Ray, how would you describe Revelation compared to Matthew 24? Well, uh, I would describe Matthew, uh, Matthew 24 is kind of the big picture. If you were looking at a film, it'd be the, the big bird's eye view of let's just describe a battle. And then Revelation is going to be uh, the zoom lens that goes into detail. So I, I think we do this all the time, but I'm going to repeat and write some of the things that we've written because I think it's starting to connect uh, about this process here. But again, what Ray just alluded to. So we're going to talk about, we, we have been talking about, I should say, you have the birth pains. Right, and those lead to what we would call the warnings, the watch out. And remember, we can say that that, that leads into. Uh, I mean, I think we can say the seals. I'll just say one through five. Okay, for right now, we'll just we'll, we'll use that analogy of the one through five seals. And remember, those come from Revelation six, the birth pains that we're talking about. Right, these those come from Matthew twenty four. In that, you're going to see what we've talked about, what we would call the peace treaty, right? That peace treaty is going to allude to, Ray, what, what kind of a time frame? Uh, that's, that's going to be the event that most people would start to clock for the tribulation in seven years. Yep, good. So the peace treaty is going to be established for what we would say seven years, and at least 10 plus nations are going to be involved. Fair enough. Israel's one of them. And then there's going to be what we would call the Antichrist, right? The Antichrist is going to initiate this peace treaty that's going to launch into the seven-year period of the tribulation. Okay, Ray? I'll clean up. Just, you said yeah, ten sure. nations, Israel will be one of them. I believe Israel is outside, outside of, of it. Outside of it. It's outside of the yeah. ten that's a part of that. So, yeah. yes, thank you. Yeah, good clarification. So then in the tribulation, right, you have this period that goes from... And it's the three and a half year period. In that three and a half year period, we call it the abomination of desolation. Ray, you want to describe that for us? That is when the Antichrist goes into the temple, declares himself God. Okay, pretty straightforward. Now, in this, 
What I'm gonna throw in something here that one, two, four. Oh yeah. That also, this period right here, this three and a half period, we call it, Ray, what you alluded to, the Great Tribulation. So really, the Great Tribulation then becomes, right, the second half. In all of this, at the end, I'm going to put a little, in Matthew 24, it talks about how the gospel is going to be proclaimed, right, to all nations. This is a process for Matthew 24. Now, let's tie in here, and we're going to get to the wrath, but i got to keep building this. I think it's a good refresher for us. Now, at some point, we have to bring in Satan to the picture, and Satan, he gets kicked. He just gets kicked. <laughs> he gets kicked out of heaven. Ray, that is uh, the sixth seal. You want to describe that? The description of the sixth seal is... You know, the kings and the, the great and the small, everyone is realizing that God's wrath is about to be poured out. And they're even crying out for the rocks to follow him because the day of his wrath of the Lamb has come. Okay, so now in this, you're going to get these warnings. So what this, I, I'm just reiterating, Ray, what you're going to say. This is, what they're saying is, is there's warnings to come. Okay, this is a part of the process. There's going to be warnings to come. Remember how we had warnings over here? You kind of have that same mentality of, hey, now look, look what's going to begin to unfold. Now, number eight, at some point, the resurrection of the dead takes place. Okay, who are the dead, Ray? Uh, everyone, that description is everyone who has died in faith in Jesus. Okay, so this is faith in Christ. At the same time, okay, we also have this language, which... Gets everybody excited. This is why you all the reason you listen to this whole thing is we can talk about the rapture. Yeah, who's the rapture for? Right? Those who are alive in Christ. This resurrection of the dead, rapture of the alive, it can take place anytime. Pre, mid, post. We've communicated a little bit more probably where we stand, but again, to me, I want you to understand the bigger picture, which I'm fine with. So in all of this, this is taking place. Okay? So Hopefully everybody's on the same page. Now here's where I want to transition, okay? This is where my number's going to change a, a little bit where I did last time, is on number 10, okay? I want to do this. It, it's weird because they're, they're so intertwining. Like you can kind of, like when you hear the day of the Lord, you know it's not just like all at 8 p.m. It's like a circle that it's all right there. I'm wrestling with a circle right here is what I'm wrestling. I think you can see my, okay, so you have the 144,000, okay? Now go to Revelation 7. Okay, Revelation 7, it says this in verse 1. After this, I saw four angels standing in the four corners of the earth, restraining the four winds of the earth. So they're holding back, right? The four winds. They're holding it back so that no wind could blow on the earth or the sea or in any tree, right? Okay, so and then it says this. Then I saw another angel who had the seal of the living God rise up from the east. He cried out in a loud voice to the four angels who were empowered to harm the earth and the sea. Don't harm the earth or the sea or the trees. Don't bring the wrath on this place until we seal the slaves of our God on their foreheads. So the 144,000 at some point have to be sealed. And they're sealed because they're going to enter into what we call God's wrath. And he's going to protect these 144,000, these Jewish evangelists that are virgins. 
That's the context of who they are. They're not anybody else. Don't try to fit it in there. Now, somebody could say, well, maybe a Gentile because based on some text, there, there could be that conversation. I'm open to that. But the point is, is we know that they're undefiled. We know that they're pure. We know that they're evangelists. And we know that God's going to seal them. Why? Because he's now revealing the wrath of God is coming. Now, if you're to think already, why would he seal 144,000 evangelists during a period of wrath, right? Without even knowing the storyline, what's the purpose? The purpose is even in God's wrath, he is uh, redeeming anybody that will turn to him. I want to back up just for a second. Now, when the rapture takes place, okay, somewhere, somehow they're out, 144,000 are in. Okay, does that make sense? Somewhere we're out of the picture and somewhere they're in the picture. Now, this these people that are being raptured, remember when they come, when, when Christ comes back for these people, I want you to go to Matthew 24, okay? Go to Matthew 24. We're going to jump back from Matthew to Revelation. Lord, just keep making this clear. Matthew 24, I want you to go to verses 29. Now it says this, Matthew 24, verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days. So what he's saying, you got to understand this, is when it says after the tribulation, right, what do we think it means? After, after the tribulation. After the seven years. After the tribulation. That, that makes sense, does it not? That language. So after those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not shed its light, the stars will fall from the sky, the celestial powers will be shaken. Now watch in verse 30. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn. Okay, what are they seeing? Well, what we've communicated in the past, and it's okay if you want to press against this, we believe this is a picture of the rapture. We believe that Jesus is coming, right? And watch this, it says, all of the peoples of the earth will mourn. This is not the language of the Jews in Zechariah 12, where they're mourning. This is the nation saying, oh no, we didn't go with him. This is the nations, this is the people, and they see a son of man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and glory, and uh, with power and great uh, glory. Ray pushed me on this because I said, well, what if it is actually him coming back? He doesn't say he came back to earth. He's in the clouds just coming for his people. So this is a picture, a beautiful picture of, a ra of the rapture. Again, we could, you can clean that up. I'll come right to you in a second, Ray. So all I want to just say is that the nations are saying, oh no. I want to slow down on that one. We didn't go with him. Ray? This totally ties into the sixth seal. The language of the kings and the great. Yeah. And they're saying rocks fall on us. The, the, the day of his wrath has come. I believe this is their morning. Good. We believe that when he's coming back for his people, it's not the second coming. Okay? The rapture coming back for his people is not the second coming. I know we're there, but you guys, we're in our 28th lesson. This is going to be a lot of meat today, okay? So hang in there, okay? That's different. He's coming back. Why? He's, he's coming back for his bride. He's coming back for his bride, and he's going to take them and get ready for a wedding. He's getting ready for this millennial feast. He's getting ready for this feast of booths, feast of tabernacles, where he says, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to pull you out of this place and the nation see, we aren't going with them. But he says this, though, and this is really important to understand, but I'm going to give you 144,000 evangelists that are going to still go after those people that didn't go with them the first time. 
So God is still in the business of redemption, even amidst his wrath. He's still not saying, oh, you guys suck. You're done. You're out of it. He's not implying any of that. He said, I'm still going to give you a thick-headed, you know, hard-hearted people another chance. And that's what he's painting a picture of. And these people that are mourning are saying, I don't know if I have another chance. And so what you're going to see is the magnitude that's coming, this magnitude that's so real. And oh, by the way, remember when they're going out? You guys remember last, last week we talked about the, uh, the bima, the judgment seat? Do you remember about the crowns that they get to receive? I hope you've been thinking differently now. I know I have been. I hear this language. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to get that crown or I want to walk this out. Not out of salvation but because he's going to bless you because he's given you these gifts and you're making the most of them. So by the way, while this is taking place, the wedding is getting ready. These are getting sealed. He's starting to give out awards to all of his believers. Okay, so this is that process that's going to take place. Now, if you would, so I probably should write. Yeah, see my whole, why do I number things? We really shouldn't number anything. Because it always keeps changing. <laughs> you have the judgment seat of Christ, right? I just don't want us to miss that we talked about that. All right, so that takes place. 144,000 are sealed to share and show the love of Christ. Why? Because they are fully aware of the pause that's coming of what we would consider the wrath of God. Now, what's the big deal about a pause? What are we even talking about, about this pause? I want you to go to Revelation chapter 8, please. Revelation chapter 8, verse 1, it says this. Now, remember, in 7, what had already taken place? He's already sealed. He's sealed it. The angels are they're not supposed to release anything until these people are in place. And then in Revelation 8, he says, when he opened the seventh seal, right? We've only talked about the first six seals. So now it says, when he opened up the seventh seal, so now here we are, we're tying this in. It says that there was a moment, right? There was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. For anybody that's legalistic or type A, that verse drives you crazy. What do you mean about half an hour? What do you have that? You know, is it 29 minutes? Is it 31 minutes? No, it's none of the above. Kevin, you want to describe that, Dr. Kevin? His, his sun, sundial was a little his iffy. Though. sundial. Okay, now, when we were, t- <laughs> I actually think, this is going to sound so crazy, this little pause is the key to understanding the rest of the message. I'm actually going to spend time talking about the pause. Okay, I'm actually going to teach more on the silence than maybe what you'll think. But when you understand the silence aspect, you'll get the bigger picture. Luke 24, right? The scripture just says, verse 8. Here's what it is. And uh, it just says this. The silence on the cross, okay, before Pilate, it makes us think about what he said. The silence should start making us think, what did God already say about what's coming? The silence causes us to remember his previous words. The silence causes us to reflect on the word. Now, in this pause, if we are not in the word of God, you can't reflect on anything. And so the disciples remembered his words because of the silence. Now watch this also, the silence of Jesus. It shows us how he prophesied 
that the Son of Man must suffer and die for our salvation. Luke 9, 21 through 22. So now we're reflecting, but now we're also beginning to understand like, like you guys, this was prophesied. He strictly, says in Luke 9, 21, he strictly warned and instructed them to tell this to nobody, saying the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and scribes, be killed and be raised the third day. So why the pause? To let you know that he's going to fulfill the word of God. So this pause of Christ and this silence on the cross, to me, is a picture, seriously, think about this, about the pause about what he's already prophesied to come as well. Another aspect from Beautiful Christian Life, and I like this, it just says, the silence of Jesus recalls to our minds that of God's word that the Messiah had to be a silent lamb. Isaiah 53, verse 7. Remember the prophet Isaiah? Isaiah 53, verse 7. Uh, the scripture says he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he what? Did not open his mouth like a lamb led to a slaughter. So again, what Jesus is, is picturing is that, yes, uh, it was already prophesied that he's going to stay silent. So why do we need to pause? Why does Jesus need to reflect on this? Because he's showing you this is a fulfillment of what was already been said. If you keep going, uh, another aspect of the silence of Jesus. Silence of Jesus is to show you that suffering, suffering was necessary for Jesus to be quiet is that it takes more strength to be quiet than it does to talk. I hope you're seeing this correlation. Isaiah 53, verse 10. Isaiah 53, verse 10. Yet the Lord is pleased to crush him when uh, severely, when you make him a restitution offer, offering. He will see his seed, he will prolong his days, and by his hand, the Lord's will will, the Lord's will be accomplished. So why are we making this correlation with this pause? Because I believe this pause is the same mentality of the pause before Christ, before he died, the silence before he died. But this time it's a different aspect. The magnitude about what Christ was going to go through, now imagine the magnitude of what everybody else is going to go through. One other aspect is that sometimes silence speaks louder than words. Ecclesiastes 3 but watch this. Ecclesiastes 3, 1, and then Kevin, we're going to go to verse 7. Ecclesiastes 3, 1 says, there's an occasion for everything and a time for every activity under heaven. In verse 7, it says, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to be silent and a time to speak. There's a pause before the wrath of God because he wants us to reflect and to remember all that he's going to fulfill. So this pause, this contemplative slowdown that Christ did, it all led to resurrection. I want you to start thinking of the wrath of God is coming for redemption. Is that, you want to clean that up? Does that make sense? No, it's perfect sense. The, uh, it's the same thing with Egypt. Uh, the plagues of Egypt weren't because he was mad at Egypt. It was because he needed his people released. And because of the hardness of Pharaoh's heart, he also used it to evangelize the world. Uh, that Rahab uh, is a part of that thing. And that's the same thing that's happening here. During wrath, he's still on an evangelistic crusade. Hmm. Uh, I find it interesting, too, that the church was birthed out of silence, that pause, and the church is raptured yeah. in silence. It's a bookend. Yeah. And then he starts another journey. It's kind of an interesting picture. Now, when we talk about the wrath of God, you can say, well, when is this? 
We were talking about this right before the class. Yes. Is it after the seven? Is it after the seven years? Is it right after? Now, when you look at it, says after the tribulation. It sure looks like that's that language in Matthew twenty-four. But the reality is, is we just don't know. Anybody that says dogmatically they can prove it, I really don't think that that's the case. But you could say that the wrath of God, you could say that it comes, okay? It could come at the end of the last three and a half years. It could come as a great tribulation. Many people could say that. Many people would say, well, it could come after the tribulation. My point is this, yes, it's coming. And at some point, whenever this takes place, he already has his troops ready to roll. And he's going to give them one more chance amidst all of it. So then he begins to, un- to describe what does this look like? How is he going to ultimately save Israel? How is he ultimately going to save his people? Well, as crazy and as harsh as this sounds, he's going to wipe out anybody that's against him. I don't know how else you can get around it. Well, that doesn't sound like a loving God. Look, he's given us lots of opportunities and he's giving them again an opportunity. But what you're going to see is as soon as that seventh seal is open, you guys, we're going to begin to get into what we would call the seven trumpets and the seven bowls. Those describe the wrath of God. Now, I want to give you a theme verse in 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 through 20. That's the verse that we have used for the wrath of God, okay? For believers in this context, that we would say we're not here for this. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 and 10, it says, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we were awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Now, this is where there's that that whole discussion again, pre-mid and post, all that kind of stuff. Is wrath different than tribulation? That's where that conversation comes in. All I want to just tell you is this, from our perspective, we at least for sure don't believe that we're going to be around for the trumpets or the bulls. Okay? So I want to make sure everybody sees that in that context. Now, when you go back to Revelation chapter 8, okay, you're going to begin to see what the wrath of God looks like. Kevin, if you would, we'd go there. Revelation chapter 8, and it says in verse 6, and the seven angels who had the seven trumpets. So there's actually an angel and they actually have their own trumpet, okay? So it's not the same angel, it's a different one, okay? Different one with a different trumpet. Prepare to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet and hail and fire mixed with blood were hurled to the earth. So a third, this is crazy by the way, of the earth was burned up. A third of the trees were burned up and this one bothers me and all the green grass was burned up. Not just grass, but the good grass. You know, like, well, I already have bad grass. Take that with it. You know, he's only the green grass. So here you have, okay, so that's if you do your own lawn, that's, you'll find that life-giving. So, okay, so here you have hail, fire, mixed with blood. Now, I'm going to write this out because this is what the wrath looks like. A wrath of uh, the earth is burned up. Kevin, what do you think that looks like? The earth is burned up. Uh, wildfires to the max. Hmm. So when we get concerned about wildfires uh, in California, which is legit, none of that compares to what's coming. 
Okay, so by the way, that's the first rep. Now, if you're living on earth at that time, you got 144,000 evangelists, and what are they doing when a third of the earth is being burned up? Can you look to Christ? Can you look to Jesus who died, buried, and came back to life? Look, it's not too late. That's what they're there for. They're sealed to be protected from all of this. The second angel blows his trumpet in Revelation 8.8, and something like a great mountain ablaze with fire was hurled into the sea. So now a third of the sea became blood. And a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were, destro- were destroyed. So here we have what we're calling the seven, seven trumpets. This has already taken place. Now you have a great mountain. A great mountain ablaze with fire. And it is hurled into the sea. Kevin, do you know how much of the world is covered in water? Approximately 70%. Approximately 70% is covered in water. Now in this, what are you going to see? You're going to see a third of the sea and it's going to become blood. By the way, can you imagine that smell? I'm always intrigued, by the way, too, what that's going to look like. Is it just going to stop? Like this is blood, this isn't blood. Then you have a third of the living creatures are dead. Okay. And then at the same time, Kevin, why does he say a third of the ships are destroyed? What's that going to do? Well, in John's time, shipping was all the the only way that merchandise moved from one place to the other. And people, anything moved. So all your transport, a third of your transportation is going to be shot. Okay. So we've been talking about COVID. We've been talking about the pandemic, right? People are freaking out already because the, the shipping industry is already getting impacted. Expenses to retail are getting expensive. So what are happening? The Walmarts and these other organizations, they're hiring their own because certain other people aren't doing it. So all this is cost is going up. This, what we're experiencing now is nothing to what's coming. That's why we always say these are birthing pains. These are pictures of ultimately what is to come. This is the wrath of God. We're talking about two trumpets. These are two trumpets. Remember, what are the evangelists doing? Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. And that's all they're saying. He still gave them hope, even when it didn't look like it. Now, when you get into the third trumpet, okay, Kevin, let's go there. Revelation 8.10 says the third angel, different trumpet, blew his trumpet and a great star, blazing like a torch, fell from heaven. It fell on a third of the rivers and springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood. So many of the people died from the waters because they had been made bitter, okay? Now, this is what you're going to see. Again, third trumpet is that you see a great star. The great star is called Wormwood. Ray, you want to say anything about Wormwood? I do not. I don't want anything to do with it. Okay. (laughs) A third of, I'm just going to say water, because the scripture says, Uh, Kevin, if you'll go back to verse 10, it just says rivers and springs of water. So now you have not not the sea mentality, but you have fresh water. Now the fresh water, why is that a big deal if the fresh water is attacked? Well, it's it's what we drink. It's it's the necessity of life. Uh, You could say, who cares about the sea? But now you're tapping into like, this is my water source. This is what I'm going to be drinking. So the wrath of God is coming while people are still alive. We're Christians. We're those that are dead in Christ. They are now with Christ. They're hanging out, getting their rewards, going through possibly a wedding feast, 
The Jews down here, the evangelists, they're trying to, yes, hey, I have the living water even though you have bitter water. Like they're articulating the gospel all throughout and nothing is touching them, by the way. Man, that would be incredible. And so in this, by the way, a third of the water becomes bitter and they actually say that that water, that bitterness, that wormwood, uh, they've shown that it would cause drunkenness uh, and then eventually death if you participated in drinking this water. Okay, for the sake of time, I'm going to keep going. I want to go to the fourth trumpet. Right now, this is the wrath of God. What's the ultimate purpose of the wrath of God? To save his people. First, the group of the nations are crying out, oh no, we missed it. But the evangelists are going out, they're talking as things are burning, as things are turning to blood, as people are dying by drinking water. They're still telling them there's a message of hope. Don't tell me that God is not a loving God. He's still giving them an out. And so in Revelation uh, 8, verse 12, the fourth angel blew his trumpet. And a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened. A third of the day was without light, and the night as well. And so here you have in verse 12 a pretty simple picture, yes, of basically it's starting to turn dark. A third of the sun was struck. A third of the moon, right? A third of the stars says was darkened. Okay, and then you have a third of the night even. A third of the day, excuse me. A third of the day had no light. And then a third of the night experienced that, that darkness. Can you imagine as all this is coming, you start, you can't see things now? And then finally, I want to just say this in verse uh, 13, Revelation 8, 13. I looked again. This is John, right? Okay, John, I looked again in a vision. I heard an eagle flying uh, overhead and he's crying out in a loud voice. This eagle is saying three things. Whoa, whoa, whoa. To those who live on the earth because of the remaining trumpet blast that the three angels are about to sound. So now you're going to see probably something I'd be like, just be quiet, eagles. It's already bad. Because they're saying there's three more woes coming. Go to Revelation 9, if you can, verse 1. Revelation 9, verse 1. Again, we're going to get into this. The fifth angel blew his trumpet, right? There's seven trumpets. And I saw a star that had fallen from heaven to earth. The key to the shaft of the abyss was given to him. So watch this, okay? A star, right, comes out from heaven to earth. And that star, what's a star in this context? I believe it's a demonic spirit. Yes, okay? Is given, demonic spirit is given the key to the shaft of the abyss. He opens the shaft of the abyss. Smoke came up out of the shaft. I'm in verse two. That, that came out of the shaft like smoke from a great furnace so that the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke from the shaft. So here you have something that's fallen from the sky, given access to the abyss, right? Given a key. Now watch what this key does, okay? He begins to unlock this and it says, out of this unlocking, the locusts come out of the smoke right, onto the earth, and the power was given to them like the power that scorpions have on the earth. So the fifth trumpet, what, releases, and I'll get into the locusts, but the fifth trumpet, right, is a, a demonic, I mean, remember, the demonic is a fallen angel, right? This demonic angel, I know that's a weird conundrum, but that's the reality, fallen angel is given a key, and he's given a key to the abyss. Okay, so he's got this key, He's already here. He's been given authority because he gave it to him. And he said, now watch, 
And this is so, it's just, it's crazy. Verse 4 says, they were told not to harm the grass or the earth of the earth. Well, I'm like, that's because it's burning up. Or any green plant or any tree, but only people who do not have God's seal on their foreheads. It's lip. So the locusts are told to not destroy. Uh, don't worry about the, the, the property. I want you to go after the people, but who are the people that they're trying to destroy now? Yeah, they, they can't harm uh, those that have... I believe these are people... These are... I believe the seal is beyond the 144,000. These are people who are coming to faith. They can't be harmed. They're going after the lost. Yeah. So they're, they, they were instructed to kill anybody that was not, but now I'm going to clear, clean up that language, even that. But they were supposed to destroy anybody that was not affiliated with, with God. Now, watch this text, okay? It says, but they were not permitted to kill them, but they were to torment them for five months. Their torment is like the torment caused by a scorpion who it's when it strikes a man. In those days, people will seek death and will not find it. The torment for five months is so bad, even suicide will not work. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. It's just this when people say hell on earth, this is actually what I would say hell on earth. And it's not even. They want to die. But they can't. That's really ultimately what eternal damnation is going to be. But this is a picture of what it could look like. And again, now the appearance of, I think this is important, in verse 7, the appearance of the locusts was like horses equipped for battle. Something like gold crowns was on their heads. Their faces were like men's faces. They had hair like women's hair. Their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had chests like iron breastplates. The sound of their wings were describing the locusts, which is ultimately is a description of an army was like the sound of chariots with many horses rushing into the battle. And they had tails with stingers like scorpions, so that with their tails, they had the power to harm people for five months. And in charge of all of this, in verse 11, it says, they had their king, the angel of the abyss. His name is in Hebrew is Abaddon. And in Greek, he has the name Apollyon. So what you're seeing is a massive, massive army led by the demonic, right? You can make a pretty good case that this is the uh, demonic spirit is already on earth. Yeah. And so what's happened is the agreement of the people is what has empowered him. And he's now releasing all of his assets from the abyss on the earth. You can also make a strong case that this is that spirit we saw back in, I think it's Revelation 12, where Satan mm -hmm. is standing at the seashore and he is watching the beast uh, of the empire. You can make it, you can link all of these together. I'm not saying it's completely foolproof mm -hmm. and I'm not dogmatic about it, but there's a strong case that can be made because that spirit, that empire is empowered by agreement of multitudes of people and that has released the ability to launch this. They want to die. That's how bad the wrath of God is. Like they just take me out and they can't. They're trying any different method and they can't. That's the fifth trumpet. Keep going here if we can. Uh, in verse, uh, I'm in, uh, well, Revelation 9, 12 says, the first woe has passed, right? There are still two more woes to come after this. So you would naturally think, here we go, sixth and seventh trumpet, right? The sixth angel blew his trumpet. 
from the four horns of the gold altar that is before God, I heard a voice say the sixth angel who had the trumpet released the four angels bound at the great river Euphrates. Euphrates. So the four angels who were prepared for, now watch this, for the hour, day, month, and year. God knows the exact time. And they were released, these four quote-unquote angels, and they were released to kill a third of the human race. Now, death can take place. But you got to remember, a third of them are dying for the humanity, for humans. But we already know earlier on, and I, I had referenced this a, a while ago, um, uh, in Revelation 6, 8, you don't need to go there, a fourth of the population had already died. So at this point, when you have a third of the human race and maybe a fourth of the population in Revelation 6, you could say over half the population right now is dead. And this number could actually reflect possibly, uh, for sure, may, maybe in the billions, okay? That, that's, that's a reality of how much death is taking place. Now, um, now, here's what's crazy. We are in the sixth trumpet, right? The number of mounted troops were 200 million. I heard their number, right? And this is how I saw the horses. I'm in Revelation 9, 17, right? It says, I heard, uh, I saw the horses in my vision. They begin to describe the horses, and it says in Revelation 9, 18, a third of the human race was killed by these three plagues, the fire, the smoke, uh, and the sulfur that came from their mouths. So a third of the human race was killed by these three plagues, fire, smoke, and sulfur, for the power of the horses is in their mouths uh, and in their tails because of their tails. And again, it's just describing snakes have heads, they inflict injury. How many are, is in the army? 200 million. Do you remember how we talked about the bloodbath? from one place to another, this is where we're getting this language. Do you remember how we're talking about this language now? Does that make sense? The rest of the people who were not killed, watch this, you guys, they still did not repent. It says they did not repent of the works of their hands to stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, which are not able to see, hear, or walk. So they have one sin, which is worshiping demons. They also had another sin. They didn't repent of murders. Third sin, they didn't repent of sorceries. Fourth is they didn't repent of their sexual immorality or of their thefts. Half of the world is dead and people are still not repenting of their sin. And yet in all of this, you've got the 144,000 saying, turn to Jesus. How do we know? Because they're saying they're not repenting. So the message of salvation, the message of redemption, the message of revival is still going forth and people are still not saying yes. This is right now what we would say is the sixth trumpet. And there's so much we, we could say in regards to this. Uh, but because of time, I, I do want to just jump to um, the seventh trumpet in Revelation 11, verse 15. It says, the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. So when the seventh trumpet is being released, it says the 24 elders who were seated before God on their thrones they fell face down and they worshiped God, saying, we thank you, Lord God, the Almighty, who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. So the seventh trumpet integrates what, Ray? It's the summation, I believe, in the midst of all of this, even though it's not described, the Battle of Armageddon is uh, a part of this. I guess it's really talked about in terms of the army of the 200 million, but the... Uh, the idea of 
that his great power has begun to reign is really talking about the millennial reign of Jesus. And it says that the nations in Revelation 18, the nations were angry, but your wrath has come. The time has come for the dead to be judged and to give the reward to the servants, the prophets, to the saints, and to those who fear your name, both small and great. And the time has come to destroy those who destroy their the earth. So what is this going to ultimately lead to? Armageddon. Remember that bloodbath? So now he's coming to rule and reign. Now we're talking about the second coming. Okay, now we're talking about the second coming mentality, the picture. I understand we haven't talked about the bulls yet. Just hang in here, okay? But I'm trying to show you that this is initiating the rule and reign of Christ. And all those 100 million, that's what he's saying. He says, I'm coming to destroy those, right? Who fear, who were against him. So you have seven trumpets. Hang on one second. Seven trumpets that will lead to, yes, Armageddon. Armageddon has not happened yet. Remember that bloodbath that has to take place? Uh, Ray. Oh, wait, I got to say one thing. Go the Euphrates. Do you remember when it, it, it became dry? That was so the kings of the east could come. That was so they could make their way to the battle. Everything is set up for the large battle. Ray. I love the language where he says that he came to destroy those who destroy the earth. He's putting the responsibility on the, the, the will of the people. Talks about worshiping demons. It's all language that shows the empowering of those spirits. Here's what I'd like to do. Uh, I think this is fair. We're going to integrate the seven bulls next week as well as talk about the two witnesses and how all of this it, it fits. I, for me, does that, does that make sense? I think that still works because I don't want to cram in the, uh, the bulls on this one. Um, I just, I want to set the stage for what is to come. Now, this is, please, you guys, this is going to be a classic time revive moment. <sighs> please, Lord, in humility, I do this. <laughs> I had a guy give me these glasses after I preached in Elkhart, Indiana a couple weeks ago. And he came up to me and goes, hey man, I can't even take you guys seriously right now. He goes, I think you need these. And he goes, you know, when you, when you put these on, he goes, they're a reminder that they're your Jesus glasses. That when you look through these, everything is the lens of Christ. When you think about the wrath of God, I'm going to get emotional with these glasses on, really, God? <laughs> When you think about the wrath of God, if you have these off, you can get overwhelmed by all that God's, that all that it's going to take place. But when you put them on and you say, Jesus, how do you see things? He says, well, I'm going to redeem my people. I'm going to restore my people. I'm going to revive my people. When you put it on in the lands of Christ, when you, I can't believe I'm going to learn this. When you put these on, you guys, these trumpets, these bowls, you're like, yeah, God had a plan from the beginning. If you take these off and you're in your flesh, you're kind of like, that's a lot. But sometimes when you're a fool for Christ and you put them on, oh yeah, I see Christ's bigger picture here. And it works. By the way, these are not for sale. <laughs> and there's nothing spiritual about these. I just like it when you look at through the lens of Christ. This is not overwhelming. And so, Father, I just say thank you for um, this day. 
Thank you for these words of Scripture. I feel like I just opened up the fire hydrant and just let it go. And I just pray for people that they would just get soaked in this. It doesn't mean they understand it. I pray that it becomes more clear. But I pray that they know that they've been in the presence of the Lord and that they have nothing to fear. And then in that, Lord, this should actually drive us to tell somebody about Jesus. Let's not go through this. Let's say yes to the death, burial, and resurrection. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.